I've seen so many entrepreneurs, even in myself, seasons where it's led to burnout and you just see them compromising on things that they just later in life look back and, and see like, man, I wish I wouldn't have compromised on that time with my family or or the way that I constructed that business deal. I really appreciate that sentiment and I don't know that I've ever actually thought about it that way, that success is a great outcome, but it's a horrible purpose. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. And as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. Well, today I get to share with you a conversation that I had with Ben Stewart. Ben is the founder and CEO of Stewart Contract Packaging, and we'll get more into what that business does and really the transformational growth they've experienced over the past few years here in just a bit. But here's what I want you to know about Ben. He was actually my first ever one-on-one customer after we started Path for Growth. Um, Beyond that, he and also his wife, Sarah, and daughter, Sloan, have just become incredible friends to Aspen and I. They're people that we so appreciate and have gotten to spend some intentional time with. And then beyond all of that, I just want you to know that Ben is a leader that I uh, know well and deeply admire and respect for a few reasons. Number one, for his intentionality. This is a guy that is really, really committed to moving forward with aim and purpose for the way that he is passionate about integrating his faith into his work and making sure that the work that he and his team does is done for the glory of God. And then number three, just his commitment to healthy growth. This is a guy that is constantly moving forward. He's constantly challenging and encouraging others to move forward. But then he's also hyper conscientious and deliberate about making sure that that growth is accomplished in a way that is healthy. This conversation is incredibly practical because that's part of Ben's DNA as a leader, but it's also incredibly inspirational because Ben really gives us insight into the transformational journey that God has really taken him on over the past several years. So here's my conversation with Ben Stewart. Well, Ben, uh, I'm stoked about this. I've been looking forward to recording this conversation. I'd love for us to start, first of all, just by you telling people what the business is that you now get to lead, and then a little bit of the story of how you got into all this. Yeah, man, that's great. Well, uh, today, our company, it's Stewart Contract Packaging. We are a dietary supplement manufacturer. So basically, brands hire us to be their manufacturing partner. Um, most brands, if you go to any like kind of supplement store or retail store, products that you see on the shelves, most of the brands don't make it themselves. They'll hire someone like us to carry the burden of all managing all the equipment, the people, the quality processes, and the facilities to actually like produce the product for them and then ship it to their their retail location. So that's like our core business. We have two facilities in Minnesota. Uh, we have about 37 team members and we're in our fifth year of business right now. But how I got into this business, it's very kind of a unique, very technical business. Um, it was not an easy one to start, but fortunately I had a, I had a dad that he had a very similar company. Um, he had his own set of products and he also had like his own manufacturing where he made his products and also uh, products for like one or two other customers. And that's really how I got started in that. I grew up in that business. What we're doing today is very different from what we were doing back then, but that's really kind of what spurred the opportunity and the birth of that. For me, it was, you know, I I struggled a lot with alcohol and drugs in my late teens to early 20s. 
And I wasn't following Christ at all in my life. So just it looked very, very different then, back then than, than today. I've always had a, just an entrepreneurial drive. And I, I think the Lord gave me, you know, skills and, and an acumen to want to be able to create and, you know, provide opportunities for people. But I just, I used those gifts for very selfish reasons before I was a believer, um, getting in a lot of trouble, going in and out of jail constantly. And uh, it wasn't until I was 21 that through many people praying and just a lot of uh, just stupid decisions having to deal with those consequences. The Lord just was working in my in my heart, and I eventually came to the point where I finally put my faith, like truly put my faith in Christ at 21. And then out of that, I started like being discipled, and I just like my whole life changed. Um, I just, you know, I mean, like anyone that knew the previous Ben to now, or even like shortly after being saved, would say like completely different guy. I can't believe like the idea of Ben going to church or not, or even being sober was just unheard of, and that was just. Uh, Jesus just completely transformed my life in so many different ways. And I started going to Bible studies and through through church and, and just being discipled. And I just started to see the Lord work and, and redeem every area of my life. And at that time, I was still working for my father's company and managing his manufacturing business. My whole life, my goal was like to, I want to make his business successful. And so I, I really worked hard on that. And then through some really great mentors through church and, and everything, I, they started uh, discipling me and mentoring me and really uh, kind of just help help me, you know, steered me in a direction of like, how do I take steps to starting my own company? You know, at that time I was, I was in a really great position. I didn't get, didn't get paid a lot, but I was able to just learn and apply. He gave me like a lot of authority, um, maybe even too much authority in his little business where uh, I, ju- I just was able to experiment, study different business concepts, apply them right into, right into his manufacturing company. And that was, I learned through so much through that. And it just, you know, one of my mentors had actually, he could see my, the way my dad wanted to grow his business was very different than the way that I wanted to grow it. And he was really wise. And he, he could tell that it just, we were always going to have some conflict if we tried to keep working together. Hmm. And wisely, he advised me, he said, you know, I think you should look at starting your own company. I think that the way you're trying to grow it, it's just going to be way different than the way your dad, your dad's strategy. That's not wrong. It's just different. And uh, fortunately, my, you know, I had a conversation with my dad over the course of a year and uh, we made a plan where I could start my own manufacturing business and he'd still be a partner of that. And he still could share in the winds of that. And we still have a great relationship today. And he was able to keep his core business. And that's eventually like kind of what evolved into us starting our company to what it is today. Gosh, uh, <laughs> first of all, that was a pretty impressive elevator run through of what has been just, I mean, a wild transformation and so many powerful lessons involved in that. There's things embedded in everything that you just said that I'm really excited to dive into. There's certainly evidence of personal transformation and impacts of that into leadership. There's the idea of starting a business and really going out and doing something on your own. There's also working with and around family. And I think all of those topics are honestly, really high stakes topics that are obviously really important. And so let's start with that topic of personal transformation. The way you talk about it, it's like a before and after picture. And I, the only version of Ben Stewart that I have ever known now, gosh, probably for four or five, probably five years now, Ben, I've only known the after Ben. And so whenever we sat down and you kind of candidly shared your story and your background I'll never forget, like, it took everything within me for my jaw not to hit the floor after you told me you had been in jail multiple times. And and it wasn't because I was like, oh, my gosh, shame on you or anything like that. I'm just like, 
this is literally nothing like the Ben Stewart that I now know. The Ben Stewart that's a, a husband to Sarah, that's an incredible father to Sloan, that like has all this like vibrant life inside of him and is committed to serving his community. And, and so I'd love for you just to zoom in on the before Ben, because I think oftentimes when people collide with Jesus, it's not like he completely revolutionizes who we are. It's like he just takes who we are and he actually directs it and points it to glorifying God in, instead of pointing it towards other motives and other aims. So can you speak to the person that you were and what were the characteristics and traits that were evident in you? And then can you talk about how they were maybe pointed in the wrong direction before, Ben? Man, that's a good question. Yeah, I think with, you know, ever since I was, I grew up, I, I was always very ambitious and wanted to build and create something that just the idea of business was really compelling to me. It, it was a lot of fun to be able to, you know, take something and make an opportunity out of it. Um, so I always had that drive. For me, I, you know, in, in my high school years, I was, I think I, I had an idol of attention. I wanted to just get attention or in, achieve significance in some way. And to me, it initially started out with just, you know, I'm, I can't be the biggest, the fastest or the strongest kid, but I could get in the most trouble. And like, that was just the way that I pursued <laughs> attention. And that was, you know, back in, you know, my early adolescence and, and then, you know, that F with addiction and other, you know, alcohol and drug use, it, it morphs into something else. And that's really where, you know, for me, I just kept on pursuing thrills, you know, it was like, you know, drinking and partying were the thrill. That's where I was trying to find fulfillment in life. And, you know, when it came to like my business skills, it was, you know, that how can I use those in a way to serve me regardless of the impact that it has on other people? And it just, I mean, it, it, it was just like a, a probably a, a period of about six to seven years of just hopelessness of like constantly just achieving one level of stupidity after another making just poor decisions that, that resulted in really bad consequences for myself, which ultimately was the grace of God and the Lord, you know, getting me to a point where I was willing to listen to him. Um, but that mm -hmm. was just, I mean, all those desires of like wanting to create something, wanting to grow something, I still have those today. It just, I realized that those gifts weren't for me. They were for serving and, and glorifying God and not, not myself. Yeah. One of the things that stands out to me about that, like six to seven years I mean, you were pretty persistent, right? Like, it, it, yeah. you know, some people, it's like they go two, they go two steps down <laughs> the wrong path and they're like, okay, I'm going to go on a different path. It's like, <laughs> and what's so wild is I know now, like that persistence is such a strength and a gift of yours. But mm -hmm. like, why do you think you kept persisting in a direction that appeared to be fruitless? What are your thoughts there? I think it's just stubbornness, you know, like, why do we do, why are we resistant to any kind of change in our life? It's just, stubbornness. I didn't want to, did not want to repent and truly trust God with my life. You know, like I believe that God was real. I, you know, had prayed the sinner's prayer at a young age, but never truly put my faith in Christ and actually walking and following him with my actions. And that was when, you know, eventually getting to the point, I saw that the Lord just was removing one idol from my life at a time. I remember for a while I had, you know, like the idol of money and greed and like trying to, you know, financial gain and I had pursued that, uh, you know, desire through selling drugs and it, which is like the most destructive thing you can do to a community and people like you just, have, I had no idea how destructive that really was. 
but it was it wasn't until like you know getting caught selling drugs and my friends losing all my money and then it's just like the lord just took every idol that i had in my life slowly removing one by one until ultimately i I got to the point i was like this is this is stupid to keep trying this like why you know this is so obvious i know the truth why am i not following it and eventually i got to the point where i just i knew god's plan for my life i knew that truly following him was my ultimate call in life and that's where I eventually got to the point where I, I wasn't willing to keep keep going the way, on the path that I was. The phrase, I knew the truth, why am I not following it, is really interesting. Can you maybe just elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, I think it just, you, and we all know the truth. We all know, we all can look at creation around us and know that there's a God that exists. You, It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to, to believe in God, right? There's intelligent cre- design in all around us, and we see we see scriptural truths, especially if you've been raised in America, you've probably heard the gospel message. You've probably heard about Jesus coming to die on the cross for our sins. And and I think the thing that you get to a point where you can't blame anyone for your actions anymore. You have to take ownership over like everything that I've done is not good. Or a lot of things I've done are not good. They're not out of good heart, not a, not out of good intent. And when I really see them for what they are, then I know that I'm in trouble and I need, I need, I have a problem that needs to be solved. That's the biggest problem, the most important problem in my life to solve. And that's how do I, how do I deal with my sin? And that's where, you know, hearing the gospel message and really seeing my need for a savior is what really led me to that point. And the transformation for you, would you say it felt like a light switch moment that it's like people that met Ben last week would almost deem Ben unrecognizable this week, or was it more gradual over time? I, it was both. I mean, there was an immediate change where like, conviction, uh, acknowledgement of the things that I was doing was wrong. Like just the, you know, the humility that I, I was, I, I guess the Lord gave me the moment that I put my faith in Christ was very mm-hmm. much like a light switch moment. What was that moment? Can you dive into that moment? What occurred yeah. in that moment? So leading up to that, I was, le- I was listening to a lot of yeah, Craig Rochelle sermons, believe it or not. That's one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of Craig Rochelle is that's the the, the, the preacher that led me to the Lord. So, you know, I was listening to a lot of sermons by him and, you know, I was, I, there, I was seeking God. I just wasn't tr- fully bought in yet. And it was, there was sort of a series of events in my life. I'd, I was slowly surrendering one thing at a time, but never going full on it all in. I was still kind of standing on the fence or sitting on the fence. And then one night I remember listening to a, a sermon that was around the parable of the sower and the different seeds and they were they were using that uh, parable talking about like are you going to have be a, a, a seed with good soil or are you going to be like the other ones that get washed away by the the cares of the world and that's at, the, at that moment I really realized I was like I either need to go all in or not like this is there's no I can't sit on the fence forever I'm really there really is no sitting on the fence you're either following Jesus or you're not right and uh, mm. that like that night I remember crying in my bed. And just, you know, total surrender and saying like, okay, Lord, like whatever you want me to do, I, I will follow you wholeheartedly now. Like, it's not about effort. It's just like, I, I will do whatever you want me to do. And I, I'm going to stop living this life and truly put my trust in God. And it was a hard decision, but it was revealed by the actions after that. Mm. The phrase sitting on the fence, what does that look like practically? Or what did that look like practically for you in your life? Man, it, I think it's a, it's a great question. I think it's like, you know the truth. You're not willing to say something's not true, but you're not willing to align your actions with the truth, hmm. if that makes sense. Like, it's just like, you you know, it'd be like, it'd be like if you were going to, you know, if you said, 
you know that donuts aren't healthy and you're gonna eat, eating 10 donuts a day are not healthy, right? But mm-hmm. you, I, I, everyone would struggle with saying the idea of like donuts are eating 10 donuts a day are healthy, right? But it's just like that moment where you're, you, you feel that tension of like my actions don't align with my beliefs and it like that just is going to frustrate anyone, right? And then until you actually, your actions align with your belief, that's when you truly put your faith in something. Mm, really good. Okay, so so that was the moment of that all-in decision. And then you said there was a piece of it that was also remarkably gradual. So can you speak to the gradual part of it? Man, the gradual part was just through many different things. But like number one was renewing my mind and truth every day. You know, reading God's word, stop filling my mind with things that were not true, uh, whether that was, a, a, you know, consuming harmful content or listening to stupid music or whatever it might be. And then second was just like replacing my community. I remember at that time I was, you know, everyone always says like, you know, good a bad company corrupts good character and you're the average of those you hang around. And like, I remember thinking at the time, like, man, if I want to walk with the Lord and live, you know, live a sober life, repent from these things I've been struggling with. I don't know how to do that. Cause I've, I only, I didn't know anyone to hang out with that wasn't doing those very things. So it was like, I didn't have strong influences in my life other than in my father at the time, which was, you know, great influence, but I didn't have enough friendly influences to hang around with, to really like, you know, be discipled and be influenced in a way of following Jesus. And that wasn't until, you know, once I got saved, I remember praying, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to have to hang out and just be in a closet on the weekends or like, what am I going to do? And uh, it sounded foolish uh, now, but like then it was very real. Like, I don't know. What do Christians do? Do they just, you know, is it, is it boring? Do they do nothing? And I remember praying like, you got to put people in my life because I don't know. I don't know people to follow. And there was a, it was you, I, I needed the Lord to put people in my life, but I also needed to participate in finding people that were going to be the right influences. So that was, there was a process of removing the bad or the uh, influences that were not helping me align with Christ and replacing that and seeking out God honoring relationships that were going to encourage me, disciple me and just uh, lead me in a different direction. It's one of our core values. We say it at the end of every podcast, just the idea that strength is for service. And one of the things that always comes to mind for me, whenever we talk about that core value is Uh, Jesus saying, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And I think that like principally, I believe we are able to serve people when we are operating from a posture of strength. But it's so interesting to see how that takes shape whenever someone has a living relationship with Christ. And I think that's that's so evidenced by already the first 15 minutes of this conversation, Ben, because I feel like what you've done is you've communicated pretty openly pretty directly, pretty vulnerably, quite frankly, and candidly about like just how weak you are. And it's wild how almost like in hearing you communicate that my perception of you is like, man, Ben is so strong because of the way you communicated it and the way you've given glory to God. And so can you share with us anything you've learned about like using your story to serve others like, were you always able to share it with such confidence and boldness and like coming out the gate talking about, man, I spent some time in jail? Or is that something you've developed over time? I think initially when I was saved, I was probably more open with it. And then later on, I probably went through a season where I was embarrassed to share that or I didn't, or maybe I was just, I didn't know how to share it in a way that was really edifying where I wasn't glorifying the wrong thing. And so that there was a challenge, but like now today it's, it's, 
it's easier to share it. And I think it's just when you, yeah, fully like reflecting on where I was and even, even today, I'm not perfect today, but like where I am without Christ in my life and, and where I am with him, it's just too completely like that strength you're talking about. It's like the only real strength we have is either God given or it's in him. Right. And I can misuse those strengths for personal gain and that's a weakness, or I can abide in him and true strength and he, the things that he's given me and the way that he created me, the desires he's given me, those can then be used with his power to glorify God and build his kingdom. And that's, uh, yeah, that's just been something that it, it's taken a while for me to like appropriate it in a way where I'm, you know, comfortable sharing it. But for the most part, it's been, it's been a part of my story. And I try to, I try to be as transparent with about that as possible with, with how we lead our company and, and everything else that we're doing. Yeah, I know that one of the core values in your company is transformational change. And it's like, you can, it's like, yeah, well, no kidding. It's transformational change. Like this has got to be one of the things that Ben is most passionate about. If you're talking to a leader that's like, Ben, um, I would like to be able to use my personal story to be able to serve and develop people in our company, to be able to inspire people. I know you're really uh, invested, you and Sarah are really invested in discipling young people in your community. What advice would you have for people on using their story to invest in and inspire others towards transformational change? Man, I think if if you're not fully sold on sharing your story with others, I think you need to reflect on your story more. Like if you, if you really understand what Jesus did for you, then like there's no other response, but to, to want to share that. And that's something I think for me, I went through a process of, of really reflecting on that and, and truly understanding that. Like when you really see the gap of like how far apart we are from God's goodness, like the only true response and what he did for us is, is is total obedience, total worship, and in, in, in serving Him, and I think that's that's something for me. Like you know, belief never, uh, belief never sustainably exceeds action, right? And if you don't believe that your story is meaningful or that other people need to hear it, you're not going to act on that. And I think it just totally starts with being con- like driving conviction in yourself to really understand your true reality. Mm, so powerful. Okay, so let's zoom back in to you kind of stepping into an ownership position in the business. Uh, Where did you working for your dad's company occur in this timeline of personal transformation? It was uh, actually the whole time. So I was I was working for my dad before I was uh, before I was the new Ben and I was working for him after that as well. So it was, you know, he, he still kept me as an employee, which was great. I was really grateful for that. But yeah, I mean, I, right when I got saved was really when I, I started to look at, and I was really passionate about business and personal growth. I just, you know, was doing it for very wrong reasons before, but now I had, okay, now I believe that God gave, gave me these desires for some reason. And it was actually through uh, connecting with someone at our church, at a local church here, it, it really strong business name. His name was Dave Twite. And there's a few other leaders as well, but I, I just remember like meeting with this guy. He was sold, sold, sold out for Christ, and just so passionately a, a Jesus follower first. But he was a great businessman, like really amazing, very skilled in business and growing his company. And but I, I saw how he separated that from his identity, and he really pursued Jesus first. And after, like he was a Christ follower first. He used to say, "I'm a Jesus follower who just happens to own a company." And I thought that mm-hmm. was so helpful, and even just to see like how is this guy growing his company, but doing it in a way that is glorifying God, providing opportunities for people and, and just really building the kingdom of God. And then even hearing more examples of people like Dave Ramsey 
Um, there was many other uh, going to like global leadership summits and seeing all these amazing Christian business owners. Uh, it just really it, it gave me a, vi- a greater vision for what the Lord could do with the skills that he's given me, even if it's the company we grow isn't going to be the biggest company or we and we're not going to go public. Maybe we're not going to be the biggest company in our industry, but we could really make an impact with the people that the Lord's stewarded to be in our in our care. Mm. The decision to uh, leave your dad's company and what you were doing with him to start your own was that a hard decision? Yeah, it was. It was tough. I mean, it was. Um, it, it was a challenge for sure. Um, you know, fortunately, it was very similar to what I was doing at the time. Um, so it was. What I like to say it wasn't as good as like buying a profitable business because it wasn't profitable. It was actually losing money when we bought it. Um, the the manufacturing side of it. My, my dad had two pieces of his business, so like the manufacturing wasn't sustainable on its own yet. But we made a plan, and really we were able to reduce the risk uh, working with my dad in a way that was really a, an ups, a higher upside to him, but it lowered some of our risk. Like we didn't have to start a manufacturing business with no customers, no employees, and just have a, a burn rate that was going to last twelve months. We were able to slowly build our customer base while I was working for him. I was able to buy and invest in equipment, upgrade some things, and then really hit the ground running with our own company where we, we had a little bit of momentum and a little bit more security than, than an actual startup would have been. Okay. And the version of Ben that stepped into owning this company, what is his uh, leadership experience like at that point? What is his business acumen at that point? Give us a picture of where you were at in terms of preparedness to be able to own this new manufacturing business. Well, at that time, I was a, I mean, man, I was a student. Like I was trying to read every book I could get my hands on when it came to business. I was managing my dad's company for, uh, it was probably two to three years at that time. And, you know, and managing it, the manufacturing side of it with, you know, probably about three to four team members, uh, full-time team members at the time for a couple of years. So I was able to really, you know, cut my teeth on what it's like to lead people. Yeah, I was, I was in the Entree Leadership Program at the time which is, that's a funny story. How we, we both got connected. We can circle back to that. But I was able to just learn a lot of really good business principles and apply it in our, in the, in what I was being, what I was stewarding it for my dad at the time, which was super helpful. But as far as like, not very experienced, but I was, you know, I, I had worked in the areas that I needed to, to develop competence so that I could start my own company. And you are someone that strikes me as, uh, I really believe, Ben, you love leadership and business, which oftentimes whenever I work uh, with people in a one-on-one context, they typically lean more into either the leadership and people and influence side, or they lean more into the business side, which is obviously how to uh, build and sustain a profitable enterprise. And you're one of those unique individuals that I really actually believe you're passionate about both. Can you explain, like, what is the thing that drives you to be passionate about leadership? And what is the thing that drives you to be passionate about business? I think I'm probably, naturally, I was passionate about business. I was not as passionate about leadership. And the more that we really did the hard work of, like, you know, defining what is our mission statement, what are our values, what are the things that really, really, truly matter? And, you know, at the end of our careers, when we look back and we feel fulfillment, what's it going to be? And that was around leading and developing people. And that's where like, you know, just really it, it's kind of what developed or that, that was, a, I went through a process of developing our mission statement and that's it, our mission is to glorify God and establish a transformational workplace. And, you know, that's where the leadership component of it is. Business affords you the opportunity to start something, 
you know, where there is no profit, there is no ministry. And like, you got to have opportunity. You got to be able to solve problems in the marketplace. And like, that, I, I love that side of it, but it wasn't until, you know, like you can start a business and have no mission or no stated mission. And you can, you can have a business that you can look back on in 20 years and realize that you grew something really big, but it wasn't meaningful. It wasn't meaningful in terms of impacting other people's lives. And that's where I think the leadership, the, the need for leadership was, was born out of that. Wow, really powerful. I appreciate you for sharing that. With that, in those early stages, are there conversations, books, podcasts that you look back to and you you would say, man, these were the things that were most influential in my business and leadership growth journey? I mean, it was a mixture of different things, right? Like we had, I think early in my personal growth, I was reading and listening to more than what was probably healthy. <laughs> I probably couldn't <laughs> apply a lot of the things I was trying to read and listen to, but it was I just being around other other people that are living it out, that are doing it well, was a big deal for me. Like that really it made such a huge influence on my life. You know, the Dave Ramsey Entree Leadership Program was truly instrumental. All the different like coachings and videos in there was just, it, it gave me like real examples of what does it look like to live out both mission driven and having a, a great strong business. And, and, you know, beyond that, there was like, I remember going to the Global Leadership Summit and just listening to the many different speakers, hearing people like Jim Collins, who's in the secular space and how he talked about business, but then also tying it in with people like Craig Rochelle and John Maxwell and just the hearing the like really tying the two together. Like if you have the strength of business and you have the ability to lead and develop people, like how can you use that in an upward trajectory to glorify God and to really grow the kingdom was just such a cool, uh, such a cool experience. And I, I don't know if there was like specific books. It was just like a, a mix up of all of that, really just making those habitual. I know you're really passionate now about like counseling young men and women that are interested in starting their own business. Mm-hmm. But- what do a lot of those conversations look like? What are, what are the things that you want so bad for people to know whenever it comes to the idea of starting their own business, Ben? Man, I the thing I really try to uh, hone in on with younger people is like first really define like why do you want to grow a company? And I, I think it's okay when you're first starting out to have like I want to start a company, I want to grow. Like you know like that vision can be okay getting started, but you're going to need something more than that to really build something sustainable and meaningful. And that's where I think the earlier you start that, the better. But I mean, really it just goes back to like, just focus on the small things, you know, like build a good work ethic, have strong character, you know, develop integrity. And then like, I mean, that's basic fundamentals for anyone in, to build in their career. But then beyond that, I think it's just like, how do you like develop your acumen for being able to see problems as opportunities? And, and how can you go at those problems with just a, an intense resolve for like, I'm going to figure this thing out, no matter how many no's I get, I will find a yes, I will figure it out. And I think like, if you can look for a, a, a position or an opportunity where you can just uh, really exercise that acumen or that ability, that's where I think it's, you know, like I would start there, those building block things that everyone needs, uh, integrity, work ethic, honesty, and and then just look for building on, on ways to to develop more responsibility for for yourself to create opportunities for other people. What are things people can practically do to build strong work ethic, strong character and strong integrity? I think first you need a vision for yourself. Like, you know, if you're, you're not going to outwork your own belief system. So if you don't believe that it's worth it to work hard every single day, why would you do it? So I think having a vision of like, what do you, what impact do you really want to make in your life with new team members? We try to have them, 
come up with a goal. Like, why does this job matter to you? Why do you want to advance in your career? What will it really mean for you and your family if you advance to this earning threshold? And, and really, we try to pull that out of them because once they have that defined, it helps them just get through, like the next steps just become so much more defined and clear for them of what they need to do next. Um, you know, it's easy to say work harder and be more disciplined, but that's not going to carry someone through the, the change that really needs to happen. You know, beyond that, it's, I, I think once you have a clear vision of where you want to go and why, then, then the actions are obvious. But then beyond that, I think it's like th- surround yourself with the right people that are, that are exemplifying those values, those traits that you're looking to develop in, and then try to like, look for an opportunity where there's an opportunity to serve, where there's a, there's a great need in a position, or there's an, a leadership opportunity that maybe it's not as attractive as a, a you know, corporate job with a higher salary, but there's way more tension and challenges that you can learn through. That's really, that's a strategy that I took. And that's something that was really helpful for me to develop that. Yeah, that's so good. I I think people often underestimate the power of a clear aim and the influence of a clear aim on our actions and behaviors. And I think one of the ways we underestimate that is we just don't create one. But then oftentimes, and I see this as true for young men like you and I often, it's not that we don't create one, it's that we do create one it just is not actually representative of what we actually want to be. And it's almost too narrow. It's like the only thing we aim at is to have a company of a certain size, but we're not including in that vision or that desired future any qualitative statements about the type of man we want to be, the type of husband we want to be, the type of family we want to raise, the type of effect that we want to have on people. And it's like, I think something powerful happens when you say, I want to grow a company to this size and I want to do it in such a way that the people who are closest to me think the highest of me. And it's almost like, man, when you have that aim, I think it really influences your actions, you know? Yeah, for sure. And that's a, I mean, I know a lot of entrepreneurs that are, that are our age that, I mean, it's kind of unique being at, at our age. You you're, we're young enough, but we can still see people that have have really had a lot of success in their 20s and they've developed something that's really sellable and it's like they're getting to the finish lines that they set out for in the beginning and i don't know a couple entrepreneurs where they had this goal this threshold of like i want to build a company worth five or ten million dollars and sell it and i've seen them get to the point where they're selling it and they're like you know it's almost like your conversations with them are just they're just kind of empty you can tell that they got to that threshold and they're like kind of now they're all looking for something else. Like, okay, should the number just be bigger or, you know, where's the meaning behind it? And I don't think there's anything wrong with setting that clear aim. That's, you know, good. They had focus. They picked an aim and they hit it. That's amazing. But you can just see where if, if you don't have an aspirational mission or there's not, you know, something that's going to last beyond your retirement, like what's the point of, of striving for that thing? Like it's not going to bring you true fulfillment. That's right. But then I think the other maybe treacherous ditch that people our age can fall into. And really, let's be very clear. It applies to every every age. I think you and I just get to see it a lot in people our age. And then also, I know just from conversations with you, it's something that we've both struggled with. If we're not careful, we can over-index on fulfillment to such a degree that we completely diminish the value of achievement And we start to demonize things like profitability, things like growth of our company, things like uh, things that result in opportunity for other people. I guess what I would ask is 
how do you make sure you live in a good headspace around business growth, around things like profitability and things like expanding the company and around things like taking risks in a healthy but aggressive way? Everything's got to come back to the mission statement. If it's not aligned with a mission statement, what am I doing? And it, there's a lot of things like a lot of growth in business that like you can just pursue growth and like it, it could be tied to the mission, but unless you're willing to like actually tie the connection there with your heart to the action, like you could be doing it just for the sake of growth. Um, and that's something that's been, you know, like it's always attention. You're always correcting. You're never perfectly living in alignment with that, but everything's got to come back to like, is this in align with our, our mission? How will this growth impact our mission? And if that growth doesn't excite you even more for the mission, then you're probably not taking the right action. And uh, I think that just living in alignment with that, having discussions around like every decision you make is in alignment with that highest, that decision you made at the highest possible conceptual level is, I think that's a crucial guardrail that's going to keep you from doing, pursuing the, the, a good thing for the wrong reason. Yeah. Can you state the mission or the why of your company one more time so we can refer back to it? It's to glorify God and establish a transformational workplace. Okay. And can you think of an example of growth that you pursued that like you were truly able to say, man, that was aggressive growth in some ways. And I can connect the dots of how it's directly related to the mission. And that's why in many ways I would look back and say that was good growth. Yeah. I mean, for sure, there's been countless situations like that. I mean, we've, we took through like, like COVID there was, uh, we had a lot of, like many businesses, had a big shift where all of our customers' demands changed very quickly. And there was this opportunity we had to pursue hand sanitizer. Everyone, everyone thought hand sanitizer was going to save their life in March of 2020. And uh, being a contract <laughs> packager, we could bottle hand sanitizer. So that was like, uh, we were in high demand for that. There was a lot of things we had to pursue and, you know, machines we had to buy and re-engineer to be able to to produce that kind of product. Um, but at the time it was like, man, this is going to be a lot of effort, but like, I really believe that like there, it was going to allow us to invest in our company, to grow our team members to a point where we would really provide stable long-term jobs that would glorify God and create a transformational workplace. And, you know, we went through like a three or four month process of like riding that wave of like producing, you know, sanitizer that went out, out to every supermarket, hardware store, and it was like one of the most profitable seasons of our of our company's life, and it, it like it, it was instrumental. Like there was three or four leaders, um, like key people that were hired within a year after that because we had that growth. We grew into a new facility. We were able to improve our offerings to the cu- uh, the customers that we had and and grow the business. And like there's just there's like we have now we have a lot of really strong careers that our company provides for really amazing leaders because we pursued that growth. What does that season look like if you don't have the mission as a North Star for filtering decision making? How, how do things change? Man, I think it's like you talk about like you hear people talk about like the, uh, the entrepreneurial roller coaster where it's like it, it's never as good as you think it is and it's never as bad as you think it is. And I think without a mission, like the mission really grounds you. And like without that, like your your purpose is success. And every day in business, there's success and failures within every day. And I just see like, man, you're going to go for an emotional roller coaster that's just not healthy to go on. It's going to be hard to pursue that because with the moment something doesn't work out, you're going to make compromises so that it does work out because ultimately you're, you're pursuing growth, right? 
I, I just, I've seen so many entrepreneurs, even in myself seasons where it's led the burnout and you, you just see them compromising on things that they just later in life look back and, and see like, man, I wish I wouldn't have compromised on that time with my family or, or the way that I constructed that business deal. Man, I, I really appreciate that sentiment. And I don't know that I've ever actually thought about it that way, that success is a great outcome, but it's a horrible purpose. And if that's the thing that's driving you, it's not ultimately going to be healthy. How does the mission of the company being what it is affect you personally and therefore affect your family as well? I mean, how it affects me personally, it it gives me a, a North Star to pursue every single day when we're going through challenges, whatever challenges it is, good challenges, bad challenges. It grounds me. It, it gives me motivation to keep pursuing when most people just wouldn't, or even just for myself, I wouldn't if I didn't have that clarified. Um, I think that it gives me meaning in life where, you know, I, I go to work and I realize like, you know, everyone's going to leave this company someday, including me. And if I'm building this company for a temporary purpose, like I'm going to look back and regret that. If, I, if I'm building this company in a way that has an eternal purpose, like I'll be eternally grateful for that. And I think that that's, that's been a huge difference for me. I think for my wife, Sarah, and our daughter, Sloan, and like our, our family, it's, it's something where, you know, it, if we were pursuing the business in a way that was just to serve ourselves, we would make a lot of different decisions than we do right now. We wouldn't live where we would live right now. We'd probably be looking to sell the company. But I mean, like Sarah has been incredibly supportive and aligned with what we're doing where, I mean, she'll sacrifice things that most wives just wouldn't if they weren't bought into that. And it's just the encouragement, the support that she gives me, the affirmations when we're going through tough times or, or tough, unique challenges. It just, you know, the mission really drives everything that we're doing. And obviously you can have a, a mission, an aspirational mission for your business. And you can, if you still neglect your family life, that's still not a good thing. You have to make sure that you're both bought into that. But that's been something that it's, it definitely drove alignment with what we're trying to do. Yeah. You know, our mission statement is we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And then we've got five core values, the first of which being point to Jesus. And it's always interesting to me the number of people that I run into that are like shocked that the word God is in our mission statement and that point to Jesus is one of our core values that we state. And they're like, literally people have asked me like, that's not illegal. Like you can do that. And, uh, and I'm not saying that everyone who's a believer even needs to do this. Right. I don't think that, uh, the apostle Paul, who was a tent maker, like that was his occupation. I don't know that he had a mission statement that was surrounding glorifying God and that he was marketing his tents in that way. I, I really actually don't believe that was the reality. So you don't have to do this. But I would just love to know, why was it important for you that that's not just something you keep maybe as a background piece of Ben that certainly influences the way he leads the company, but isn't overtly stated versus you chose, obviously, I want this to be something that we overtly state. Man, yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, Christians don't need to be as outspoken in a, in a mission statement the way that it is. I mean, you better have that like in part as part of your character and how you operate in business. People better not be surprised to hear that you're a Christian if you're a business person. Like they, it should be, <laughs> yeah. it should be evident, oh, right? Really? Yeah. yeah, I never would have guessed. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and I think, I think we all, I think we'd all agree with that. I think that it, it, for, for me, what I found is it, it just like, it's a, it's something that we can rally and lead people towards. You know, like when you give them the common language of like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? I mean, you can really like one, we hope it drives influence with 
all of our team members from an eternal standpoint, like they don't have to be Christians to work with us. We, we don't discriminate or anything like that, but we, we are very open. Like this is what, what our purpose is. This is why we're doing it. And I think that it like one with, with people who are aligned with that, like, man, it just, it, we can celebrate them. They really just, they come to work more excited because they have that purpose behind the, what they're doing. Um, it's not just a transactional workplace. I think that it's just, it, it allows us to have more, like high level conversations about why we're doing what we're doing. And ultimately I think those conversations lead to decisions that, that further our impact with that mission. And I think that's where if you desire to have that be part of your mission, I think you should state it. I think that it, whether it's an internal, like our mission statement is used more internally for inside of our team members. Like that's our purpose. We don't, it's not necessarily like a, a, a marketable statement. Um, but I think that it, internally you should, you should have it clarified for yourself. You should have it clarified for your team members of why you're doing what you're doing. And I think just every business is different, but I think that it is important to at least, at least start there. Really good. Can you also state your core values? Yeah. So our core values are work is worship, um, which is just around the idea of like glorifying God with all you do work as a way to glorify God, not human masters, uh, QBQ, which is based on the book of personal accountability, uh, transformational change, which is we are will we need to if we want to change any area in our life, we need to first be willing to change, and we are not victims of change; we are creators of change. Uh, go get or drive, which is just the idea of like have when any time you're pursuing like a challenge or anything in life, we want people to have the mindset of like we will do whatever it takes and align with our values. Like we will succeed, we will overcome this challenge, we move and make decisions with urgency, urgency and purpose. Go get our drive problem solver, which we want people to see problems as opportunities. The bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. And then lastly is no gossip, which we we, we got that from the Ramsey group. But we really try to emphasize um, do not withhold good from those who it is due. Like if you have if you see something positive, say something about it. And in addition to that, we want to protect our people, protect our culture and just make sure that we're communicating co- conflict well directly with people in a way that's healthy and productive and not in a way that's destructive. Can you zoom in on one of those core values and share how you integrate it into the hiring process to define if someone's a good fit? Yeah. So, um, well, QBQ, it's, it's a, uh, the acronym is the question behind the question. It's around the idea of personal accountability. And for us at our company, we really celebrate the idea of like when a mistake happens, own it. Just say like, I, I messed up. I didn't communicate this right. I set up that machine wrong and I'm going to learn from it. And we don't, we really try to like develop a healthy uh, perception of taking ownership of mistakes with people. Cause ultimately you can't, you're not going to improve any area of your life until you first own where your current like, reality is. And for our hiring process, we have a lot of questions geared towards an interview process, even like, you know, is this person able to identify a mistake that they made at a previous job and, and really own their part in that. Um, it's also required reading. It's a very short read, but we have all of our team members read it. We have the book in Spanish and English and every single team member that's a full time goes through that book to really have a shared brain trust. I'll steal that one from Zach. Uh, just a shared brain trust of like what our culture is about, you know, and even like whenever there's a mistake made, it like starts with the leadership. Like this is my fault. This is my part where I, I messed up on that. And this is how I'm going to own it moving forward. And we really just try to like verbalize that with team members where, you know, like every level, you know, that someone's involved with them. Like if, if I made a mistake or you made a mistake, we made a mistake. We are a team. We, we succeed and win as a team and we fail as a team. 
And that's just something that we really try to just, you know, so many people are just so ashamed of any mistake they made. They try to hide it or blame other people or procrastinate. And that's something that we're just extremely passionate about. Like we're going to own it. We're going to talk about it in a healthy way and proactive way because we're not we're not victims. We're going to we're going to own this and, and move forward. One of the things that you and the team started doing a while back, I believe, as well, is core value talks. Um, yes. As part of uh, the start of the days within the plant and things like that. Uh, can you speak to how that initiated it and then what that has transformed into, Ben? Yeah. So, I mean, we have like, you know, we're a, a food plant. So we have a lot of different, you know, production workers in the plant. And oftentimes we were having this disconnect of like our leadership team gets the values. You know, we have them posted in the plant. We talk about them. But like we don't, it's like, how do we give the people the content and the context of how do they imply these values in their life? Because ideally we want the values to be at low level of the company as possible where everyone's truly living in alignment with them. And we just saw the need of like, you know, we started doing a morning huddles, like goal setting for the day. And we're like, that's just, let's pick one application point and just teach on this. Like, what are the things that made us passionate about these values and, and what, what content did we hear and how do we recreate that in a way that's relatable to our team members? So that's what, that's how we started it. It was very uncomfortable in the beginning. Like I'm not a natural public speaker. This is just, this is a stretch thing for me to, to do that. Um, we had some other team members that were more gifted in that as well. So we, we shared the load a little bit, but yeah, we just, we tried to make it practical, just really relatable. We're not trying to do a three point sermon. We're just doing like, you know, here's whether we're celebrating, Hey, this person exemplified QBQ or taking ownership and I just want to celebrate them for doing that. They did such a great job. Or it's, you know, talking about maybe sharing a story about an area where we've struggled and where we've had to learn through that or just what it looks like to apply that in a real life scenario at work. So we, we give the, the leaders a lot of liberty on how they want to talk about the values, just as long as they're aligned back to um, application and driving meaning behind the values of the team members. Man, I love that you brought up too that like you you would say like, I'm not a natural public speaker. Like it's not something that like you feel as though like came to you as just an easy gift that you were able to grab onto because I think that's an area where getting to work with you for the past, what, three and a half years now, it's like I've seen the greatest transformational change in you because I, I remember, I mean, from the beginning, you've said like, I don't feel like I am this, but I admire leaders that do have this ability to use communication to inspire change and I remember a time when you like were extremely, and I think you would say this, not confident, hesitant, tentative around public speaking, teaching to the team, certainly doing a podcast like this. Yeah. And then that yeah. even drifted into like, we had multiple conversations about you were like, I don't, I don't know, I want to post on LinkedIn, but I, I struggle around posting on LinkedIn. Can yeah. you can you explain a little bit the resistance that you experienced before you got started? Because I, I think people will find it very relatable. Like before that growth journey initiated, what was the resistance that kept you where you were, Ben? I think shame is a big one, right? You're ashamed to try something new because you're ashamed of what people might think of you. Oftentimes we make that bigger than it really is, meaning like, the lies that we tell ourselves before we choose to start doing something is like that. We think that the negative impact is going to be worse than it really is that people are going to, you know, think about that horrible post you made or the fact that you used um 10 or 20 times in a value talk. They're only going to think about that. But the reality is people forget, like they just don't, you're not that important. <laughs> They're going to forget about the, <laughs> the little mistakes that you make. And I, I think for me is when I, 
anytime I'd hesitate, I'm like, is this really worth it? Like fear-based decision-making around like, oh, I don't think I'm going to post a good post that I'm confident in. So therefore I'm not going to, or I'm not going to have a value talk today because I just don't feel like it. I, I just, the thing that sells me every time is really focusing on, is this for me or is it for them? Do they need to hear this? The more I really focus on, do they need to hear this? Do the people listening to this podcast need to hear the message we're talking about right now? I can overcome the awkwardness, the uncomfortability of something new. And when I really tie it back to my vision and, and mission of what we're doing, then I can, when I know it's not for me, I can endure more pain and struggle than when I think it's for me. And I think that's the, the right heart that any leader should have before they share anything is, is this really for someone else or is this for, am I trying to do this in a way to impress people? And I would say most impact leader driven leaders are not, but I think that the initial fear drives us to think inwardly about ourselves more than, more than we need to. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that answer so much because I think that one of the greatest limiting lids for leaders is often lack of confidence. And I think oftentimes our response to experiencing lack of confidence is I just need to be more confident. And in reality, it's probably better to say, okay, well, what's at the source of this? And I, man, I just, it's, it's a reflection of the deep introspective work that you've done that you were able to poignantly stay right off the bat, Shane. And then I think you alluded to fear. So what have you learned over the course of the past three and a half, four years about looking shame and fear dead in the eyes and taking practical action to diminish them or dilute them so that you're able to experience more confidence? Man, that's a good question. Um, I, it is a process. I don't think that like your emotions never follow reality, right? I mean, you, you can choose to believe something and your emotions may not follow for a long time. And I think giving yourself space and grace for that is, is a good thing. I'm just realizing like, I'm going to be nervous giving this value talk. And I'm going to be, I might say some things that are a little awkward, but that's okay. Like that's not what success is in, in light of what I'm trying to do here. I think, you know, speaking truth over yourself, whether it's scripture of like, what is, who did God create you to be? And is the truth that you're sharing your truth or is it, is it God's truth? And if it's God's truth, I can have faith in that. I don't have to have confidence in myself. I just have to know what I'm saying is true. And I think all those things are really helpful. But then, you know, beyond that is like, like your emotions will follow your actions. Your actions shouldn't, most times shouldn't follow your emotions, right? I mean, that can be dangerous sometimes, but that's where I think just if you're committed to it, like choose to believe the truth over the lie of like, I'm going to write this post or I'm going to share this thing with my team members because I think it's going to, I think it's what they need to hear and it's to their benefit. And my, my feelings and emotions will follow. I'll develop confidence the more I do this, but that's not why I'm doing it. So good. And I, and I honestly see evidence of how you practice that today because uh, I I mean you sent me a text earlier that said Alex quite honestly I'm a little bit nervous about this conversation <laughs> and just asked yeah. a couple questions to prepare and what's so interesting though is that our perception of confidence is not sending that text message mm-hmm. so often we think that oh the confident leader would never admit to being nervous and in reality. The most confident and secure leader is the one that's able to sit comfortably in what's true and they're able to send that text message because why? Because they're confident, right? And it's like, well, you're nervous. Okay, 
right? Well, yeah, you don't do this for a living. It's your first time, like in many ways, doing something like this. It's yeah. like, yeah, that makes sense. And whenever we're able to say like, oh yeah, that that's okay. Like it makes sense to me that you'd be a little bit nervous. Well, then we're able to work through it. But But as long as it hides as something that you have to compensate for, confidence will never be the byproduct. So dude, I appreciate you for living that out in real time. Yeah. Thank you for that. No, that's uh yeah. And I think that's, that's really healthy the way that you had voiced that. I, I love that. And I I'm experiencing you in this conversation right now, real time as someone that's like very accurately and confidently sharing their story and perspective, right? It's like, I think if you and I had done this interview, quite frankly, three years ago, and this is something that I've struggled with as well, but I think if we did this interview three years ago, I think we might have gotten a, a version of who Ben thought Ben should be instead yeah. of who Ben actually was. Does that feel right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. I think I was just, yeah, so insecure about, you know, I, I think I was afraid to really, it, it, when we first started working together, I was, I, we had our core values, we had our mission but I was really just afraid to step into that and really lead boldly through those things. And I think just over the last three years, just by taking, you know, it wasn't perfect progress. It was just commitment. You know, it was ugly commitment in a lot of ways. There were seasons where it just, it, it was, it was hard. It didn't, it wasn't easy, but it's just like consistent. What are the things that I can do that I'd be willing to do every single day? And for me, it was, you know, okay, I'm going to do one value talk a week. And I'm going to try to, you know, just slowly amp it up from there. And like, I, that's where I think it like healthy growth really looks like, and just like true identity change happens through what you're willing to do today. And just those consistent deposits over, I'm going to do value talks and mission talks every single day. If you've never done them, that's not your design, like acumen or it's not natural to you. I would not suggest trying to do that. I think that you'd burn yourself out. Yeah. And I, I would recommend people to go check out Ben's LinkedIn just because I think it's a testament to like, you just got started and you started going. And now it seems honestly like something you really enjoy is sharing yeah, your perspective and sharing what you're learning and sharing what's going on at the plant. It's it's so cool to see. And, and I see evidence in the comments section of how you sharing your perspective is positively influencing other people. So man, your example there Praise is just so cool. Yeah, amen to that. Is there... A leadership lesson that you think it would be really helpful for people to hear about that you had to learn the hard way? Mm, yeah, I, I think I wrote one of these down and like leading is not the same as pleasing, especially like in, with my personality traits, like I want people's approval. I want people to like me and it's okay if you want people to like you, but you can't act, operate out of your soul like primary focus being that are, is someone going to like me if I say this to them? Cause that's not leading people. You know, I want to earn people's respect, but sometimes that's going to come at the cost of them liking me short term. And I think that it's uh, you know, we should be respectable leaders. We should be people that are honorable, that really have our team members best interest in mind, but it, you can't take people from here to there without tension. And there's going to be tension. And like the best, the gift that I can give them is clarity and really making sure that my intent is right, that I'm, I care more about them than I care about my how much they like me and giving them really clear communication on what needs to change, what's my perspective of it, how can I help them, what can I do differently? And I think just, yeah, leading is not the same as pleasing and, and clarity is kindness. Gosh, I love that. I, I was listening to a podcast the other day. It was a Catholic bishop, um, which isn't part of my regular podcast <laughs> okay. digestion, but it was so interesting. <laughs> he talked about the word decision 
is related to the Latin word for scissors. And he said, Mm -hmm. any decision like you're cutting. And then he said the phrase, anytime you make a big decision, there's always blood. He's like, you're Mm -hmm. a surgeon. And I I loved that image as it relates to leadership because I think you experience it so real, right? The only decisions where there's no blood are the easy ones that you shouldn't be making as a leader anyways, right? You should be delegating those to other people so they're learning how to make decisions. But man, the big decisions, like almost setting the expectation for yourself of this is going to hurt and there's no way everyone's going to be pleased. I think there's something about having that expectation that almost like just mentally prepares you for whenever there is disagreement or disapproval. Does that feel right to you? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, yeah, if you're, if you're like approaching that situation of that, even just with the heart posture of like, how can I keep everyone at ease and harmony and their view of me being positive? It's like, that's, you're not going to make, you're you're only going to serve yourself in that situation. You need to really reframe how you view leadership. And like leadership is about taking people from here to there. And it's about having the right intent for like, I want to lead people in a way that's best for them. And that, that is what needs to drive your decisions. And I think it's really healthy to have that expectation of there's going to be pain every time a meaningful change or direction happens. And I think that's just, it, it's helpful even just to communicate that to the person you're talking to, like, this is going to be painful. This is going to be hard. Like, but I'm here with you to help you see it through is just such a, it's such a healthy way to look at anything that's any challenge. Yes. Okay. So with that, like y'all have grown so fast over the course of the past five years, obviously in the midst of growth, there's going to be friction. There's going to be dissension, disagreement on the backside of having learned that lesson. What is now your playbook or your operating principles for engaging with disagreement on the team or dissension on the team? And what I see a lot of business owners do, and I definitely saw myself do this, is like you start out with a business and you have enough, like when you first start out, you it's like the time when you need like the like the least amount of clarity to move forward, right? And like <laughs> as you keep moving forward and growing, things get, like things that were unclear become way more unclear. And like just the, you know, someone can start a company with you on day one and be in it for a very different reason than when you have 20 team members. And it's not necessarily wrong. It's just, that's just reality. Right. And yeah, I've, I've just seen where like, if you can create clarity around like, what is, what do people need to do to be winning in their job and really clarifying that and not waiting until you need to clarify it. Um, you obviously want to like give people an aim versus being reactive of like, Oh, they, you did something I didn't want you to do. Now we have to have a correction about it. How much better would it have been if you said like really did the hard work of maybe the hard work is only an hour once a week thinking about this kind of thing. But What's the objective I need this role to do in order for the business to win, the team member to win, and the customers to win? And like getting clear about that. And like just it seems like it's a lot of time to spend, but man, you're gonna invest, you're gonna waste that time later being reactive if you don't invest it now. Um, so I think that that's that's one part of it. And then the other part of it, like with once your expectations are clear, when there is conflict, it's just, I mean, you've told me this many times, is we have way more in common than we have in uncommon, right? There's, there's so many more things aligned about why we're trying to do what we're doing. And it's not a bad thing if we're disagreeing about this, like we're, we're going to unify, like be more, way more for what you're, what you're for than what you're against. And I, every time that I've been able to navigate conflict, like validating the other person's opinion of it and say, like, I see why you're coming to it with that. I see like the passion you have for it. I, I realize that. 
this is the, like, I, we're going to make the decision that, that serves our mission the best. And this is what I think it, it does moving forward. Are you committed to that? And if people have an opportunity to really voice their concern, you're going to hear them out and discuss it. And then you ask them like, well, like given the perspective, I think this is the best decision to make. Are you committed to that? Like most people, I would, even my team members, when they make a decision on something that I'm not fully bought in on, if they give me a chance to voice it and I, and I'm giving them the authority to make the decision, I'll commit to it. Even if I don't a hundred percent agree with that being the best strategy. And that's ultimately the difference maker of how do you navigate conflict? Well, is there any information you can give us? Maybe it's, uh, again, just the number of team members you're at now, or maybe it's revenue, or maybe it's size of projects that would give people insight into the growth journey that y'all have gone over yeah. uh, over the course of the past five years. So maybe give us a year one picture and give us a year five picture then. Yeah. So when we first started, we were in one plant, about 9,000 square feet with like, it was like, it was maybe a little smaller than that even, but it, it was like three or four team members. And we were doing about like, I think the first year was like, before we started, we were per, like forecasted to do like 400,000 in revenue. And then I think in the first year, we almost hit a million. So we, we grew a lot that first year, which is great. Now we're at two facilities, 30,000 square foot total, uh, 38 team members, full-time team members across both facilities. Uh, when we started, we were at like, I think two production lines. Now we have nine and they're like running way more efficiently than the first ones did. So it's hard to even compare them apples to apples there. But now we're at about, we're, we're closing in on 5 million in our fifth year of business. Okay. I, I would love to break down a couple pieces of that journey because it's really just remarkable. Let's start with your time and let's look at end of year one. Where and how were you spending your time and compare? Paired to today, where and how do you spend your time now? And we probably, just stay on brand with this podcast, we probably shouldn't say spending your time. We should say, where are you investing your time? Yes, that's yeah, that's say. good. That's good. I might have been spending it at the end of year one, but uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I don't know if I quite had that, that viewpoint of it. At the end of year one, we were in our first plant. I was doing all of the sales, all of the hiring, um, I remember my wife and I were doing all the bookkeeping. Like we would stay up to like Saturday night and like midnight and trying to reconcile books, which is the dumbest thing. I don't know why it didn't, I, you didn't start your company yet. So I couldn't learn from your, from you and like you, you got a bookkeeper right away. I tried to do it. So yeah, it was a lot of that though. Like just trying to do it yourself. Um, I feel you know, like so much we, of this story is you just highlighting that Sarah is the hidden hero of all of oh, this. Yeah, like yeah, she yeah, is sure. such a baller. <laughs> uh, I can't believe that she let us let us do the things that that we did. I mean, it just was yeah. Most she was aligned with what we were trying to do, and she really believed in me, which was really that, that was an, probably the best decision I made was marrying her. I, I'd say yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, that was the best decision I made. And then you know, starting the company was that much easier because she was she I had her support. So that, that's my number one business advice. Marry an amazing wife. Uh, but- <laughs> there you go. Well, that's something I can say I got to learn from you. And there you I go. honestly, yes. like, and, and I, I, you know, that can sound tongue in cheek me saying that, but like, it's one of the things I'm most grateful for is before meeting Aspen, I got to meet a handful of business owners that had really, really healthy marriages that both partners loved each other. And they were focused on glorifying God. And I can I can honestly say this. This is not me blowing smoke, Ben. I would say you and Sarah were one of those models for me that I said, I don't know exactly 
what it is that's making that happen, but that's what I want. And so, you know, it's like we can brush past that advice, but I think that's actually really good. Like who you marry matters and it's Mm -hmm. going to have massive ramifications for the way that you do everything else in your career moving forward. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that. You know, so I I got that right. That allowed us to, to do some other things, but I mean, man, I was like, I was the one helping my plant manager fix things. I was, you know, I was kind of like the chief engineer at the time and I, I was spending my time in really every function of the business. And it was like, just keep plates spinning constantly. And when one breaks, try to fix it. And it was uh, very reactive of how I spent my time. I did, most, most weeks, I didn't know how I was going to spend my time. I just went to, visit and went to work and if I could do sales, I would. And if I couldn't, I was just trying to help the floor execute. How was your mental and emotional state mm. in the midst of all that? I was just sped up, man. Like I was trying to, you know, talk on the phone while doing three other things. And I remember I, it, it was, it was a fun season for what it was. And I don't think that it was necessarily wrong. That's what the business needed in that time. Um, I, I wanted to work out of that, but it was, it, it was, uh, it was not a sustainable method to keep operating in. Yeah. So that's, what's interesting is, and I know you've seen this as well, there's people that I agree with you. They, that's their experience in year one because it has to be, right? Like that's how you get something off the ground. What's interesting is that it's not just their experience in year one. It continues to be their experience through year three, at which point they likely quit or shrivel up because they just can't anymore. What is the appeal or what is the draw or what is the reason why people stay or stop or cap out at that basically living in the whirlwind, working in the business every day is a a series of putting out fires. What do you think caps people there? I think it's lack of belief that there can be another way. That's, Mm. I think that's a big one. Um, Lack of belief that other people can, can do something that you're doing as well or better than what you're currently doing. And I think a big thing is just like control. Do you have faith? That, I mean, if you think that you really have control over 100% of your business, you're wrong. You might be able to short term influence things a little bit more in the direction you want by having that approach of micromanaging and just, you know, being the person that keeps the whole thing going. But I think it's a big thing, just lack of belief that it could be done any other way, that you could lead a business in, in a way that's not operating that way and that you can develop people, find, develop and train people to do those functions in a better way. Man, so good. Yeah. And I love that you hit on the fact that it's like the belief is driving the behavior. So often we think it's a time management thing and it's you got to start with the heart posture and then out of that will flow time management. Okay, so now give us a a zoomed in picture to where you're at year five. How do you spend your time and where do you spend your time Ben, or invest your time? Man, it's changed a lot. We have a lot of really amazing leaders now that are way more gifted in the things that I was trying to do back then than 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 I would have ever been able to, you know, currently we have, I really rely heavily on a leadership team meeting and like having key leaders and key positions to make decisions. Most of my time is spent in uh, one-on-one conversations, developing people, coaching conversations. It's, it's spent in culture development. So I love doing value talks. I'll still do that. That's something that I would, I would do even if I couldn't get paid for it, I'd still do it. You know, beyond that, I like, we, we just started up our second plant again. So I, I spent some I spend some time there, like training, developing people, developing the plant manager, 
but it's, it's things that I get to do. I don't have to do those things. And that's something that I think is a big deal for us. But I mean, now it's more just like on high level decisions, developing people and, and really, you know, and I still work with like key customer decisions, but I'm not the sole sales guy anymore. We have an amazing project manager, Tim Rowe, that handles a lot of sales. And most of my time is spent like coaching and developing him through things that I was doing four years ago, trying to figure out on my own. And like, that's just, it's such a fulfilling role now being able to really see people grow and develop to take ownership and responsibility and really provide more opportunity for them and for the company. As you think through that five-year journey, what are three decisions or changes that you think have the most to do with where the business is today? I think in the last few years, it was really getting clear about our vision statement. Like, where are we going? Why? Like, being specific about it. Like, what what differences or what results do we want to see at the end of our three-year vision? And that made a lot of decisions really easy. I think the second thing was, like, a lot of people would say hiring key people. And I believe that's true. Like, you know, your, your company's only as good as the people that you have and the leaders that you have. And I could go off the, the list and name the key to people that we've hired that, that really have allowed us to get to where we are. But I think even more than that is like, make, like, how do you create a culture that those can be a leader that those kind of people want to follow and want to build with you? And that's something that I think because we had that right, it made it easier for these amazing leaders that I just, and, and people want to work with us that I never could have even dreamed of if I didn't have that clarified. Yeah. So I would say that those would be the three. Yeah. Really good. You're someone that is, you like risk. I would say you're very creative. You have a lot of ideas. I think you enjoy pursuing things that are fresh and new. How do you make sure that those qualities that are really good, how do you make sure those qualities are leveraged as a strength and not a distraction? Yeah, I think, you know, like one, like tying everything back to the mission statement and our vision, like does this decision align with where we want to go? If not, then that usually means immediately no. It's very rare that it would be a yes after that. So I think running it through that filter, like is this really in alignment with the decisions we've already made at the highest possible conceptual level. You know, beyond that, I think it's having, being able to like have a leadership team and have people around you that you're willing to share some of those ideas with and sometimes let those ideas die. Like I know with you and you and Zach have a very collaborative relationship like that, where you can, you're free to voice the wildest ideas and, and Zach trusts you enough and you trust Zach enough to be able to talk those ideas through and, and sometimes that's all we need as a visionary is just to be able to talk the idea through. <laughs> and uh, you Typically, know, and, I talk like, it through and realize how bad of an idea it is <laughs> on exactly the back end of talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's usually what it takes, you know. But I mean, and sometimes it's like you shouldn't rob us because like, there's you never know where an idea might come off of that discussion if you have that level of trust. But yeah, that's been something that's been really helpful for me is having people around me that I, I truly trust. And uh, they trust my intent and we can be open to discuss things like that and, and ultimately wrestle with, does this align with where we want to go or not? Um, we've had seasons where, where I haven't had that. And it's really hard to figure things out because you're making one-off decisions every time. And uh, I think if you don't have the structure of where you really want to go and what's most important and also people around you that are competent and aligned with that, it, it can be, it, or even just people at all. Like I, for me, I didn't have, I didn't have that many people when you first start out. It's very, it's just yourself, right? 
So that's where I, I think uh, surrounding yourself with people like that are, are really crucial. I mean, you've been an integral part, foundational part of the Path for Growth community since we launched it. You've seen every iteration of this business, Ben. I, I literally think you were my first one-on-one customer, not not only first customer, but literally first phone call about one-on-one, which is pretty amazing. And I'm just so grateful that we've been able to go on this journey together. It's been so cool. And I consider you such a, I mean, just an incredible part of this community, but also just a dear friend as a result. I'd love to know because you so know so many people in the community and you've spent so much time with people in the community. Is there someone that stands out as a leader that you just really admire and respect and what have you learned from them or what do you observe in them that you just really admire and respect Ben? Man, I, I really admire Rusty, Rusty Fulling. You know, we're a customer of his as well. I should say that, but it's uh, so I, I do put my money where my mouth is. I, I think and did he guy, pay you? Did he pay you to say that? No, he did not. You? No, he did not. No, he did not. No, I, <laughs> Man, like, he, so he was one of the early customers as well. And like, he's in there on every office hours meeting. And this is the thing I really love about the Path of Growth community is um, everyone really is like comes to like, whether it's office hours or whatever, their like first agenda is like, how do I help other people? And like the second is, you know, here's a challenge that I have. And like Rusty is someone that is a servant leader. Like he will lay down like his interests. And I, I don't know, like what, what if, he, if he's even come to office hours with a question before, I'm sure he has, but it's like, I mean, he's, he's asking so intentional questions. If I have a challenge and I bring it up to him, he'll, he's been, he spent a couple hours with me just, you know, connecting before we were even a customer and he truly has the heart of a servant. And that's something that it's, uh, it's emulated across the community. It's not just him, but uh, he's someone that's definitely, when I look at how do I, the type of leader that I want to become is a lot of traits that he has. Man, I, I so agree with that, first of all. And and it's, I feel in many ways so blessed because I get to have this kind of bird's eye view. And then I have so many conversations with so many customers that now make up the Path for Growth coaching community. And man, if I had a dollar for every time someone told me, man, I just really like that rusty fulling. I just really like that rusty fulling. And it's just so awesome to see that he's making such an impact because then if you also look at what seems to be his playbook for impact, right? It's just like effective listening, consistency, curiosity, and never ending learning and growth. And it's, it's honestly so encouraging. Like Rusty, I think would even say himself, like he's not a man of great extravagancy, right? Like, and he's not gonna raise his voice to make a point typically, right? If anything, like he's gonna like break down some of your barriers by making a great joke and then be able to connect with you personally, right? But it's like, it's so encouraging to see that, man, People still really value and connect with consistency, great listening, encouragement, and curiosity. And and it just seems like that's the rusty fulling playbook. So yeah, man, I appreciate you highlighting him as a great example for us to follow. What's something that you're smack dab in the middle of learning right now, Ben? You know, we just started up our second plant and we're trying to emulate what you guys have done with recreating coaches that have the skills and qualities that you have of being a great coach. And something I'm learning right now is we're, we're trying to, I've uh, been working with Olivia on this and we talked about an experience as well. Like how do we recreate ourselves and piv- 
like key positions in the company and not even just to the point of like the level of like how we were able to operate in that position, but like what's the, the ideal qualities that someone should have and the competence, the acumen that they need to perform a role really well. And one of those key roles for us is plant managers. And like they're, they're the, like the key leader. They're almost like the integrator of each facility, you know, the execution, the culture, the leadership, everything is in a large part going to follow how well do they lead the team of people. And that's something that we're, we're doing right now is like, how do we, um, I'm, I'm still in the rough draft process, but creating a rough draft, we're taking a couple plant managers through it and just trying to learn how do we develop them to ha- not just make like decisions or tasks that I would, I would want, but really like having the right mindset that we want to lead our team members. And that's something I'm learning. I'm not an expert on it. We're learning how to do it as we go here. We all are with myself and the two plant managers we have. I love it, man. So cool. And so exciting that y'all are, that y'all are literally in the middle of it and doing it. Before I ask final question, I I just want to say like my prayer and hope for this conversation was that people would just get an insight into the, authenticity and quality of the conversations, Ben, that we've been having every month now for the past almost four years. And I just want to thank you because I feel like you brought it today. And I feel like that prayer was answered in so many ways. And I think it's just a reflection of your, uh, what I would consider holy ambition. I think it's a reflection of your humility and I think it's a reflection of your commitment to never ending growth. So thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. With that final question for you, if people only hear one message from our time together today, what's the message that you want to make sure the impact driven leader who owns or runs a business hears? I am trying to think about a way, a succinct way to say it, but I think if you are impact driven, if your heart is right with where you want to go and like you, you really have a clear vision of what you want. I think like just have the faith to believe that you can become that type of leader. Have the faith to first like take the actions necessary, but also like make sure you're not operating out of fear and you're not trying to move forward, leading a bold vision, a bold impact out of fear. Like you, you just can't do it. You really need to first like believe the truths that are already there and, and operate in faith and alignment with that. Well, goodness, I'm so grateful to Ben for his perspective, for the way that he chooses to live, and by extension, the way that he chooses to lead. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.